0: i'm paul tyler and welcome to spoiler the show which reviews movies books and tv series in their entirety this week we're discussing us by david nichols and just another final warning we will be talking about the ending of the book we will ruin it for you so if you haven't already go away read the book and then come back to us afterwards have they gone right on with the show Following up a big hit is never easy. Just ask Chesney Hawkes well, I'm a man and not a Tiffany. Well, dead, dead, dead. Or to bring the references right up to date, Louis Baker
1: I got girls word, some call Whitney.
0: Some called Janet. And hits don't come much bigger than David Nichols' last book, One Day, which sold over five million copies and spawned a Hollywood movie adaptation. From Focus Features, based on the number one international bestseller, comes this summer's romantic movie event. Worried about following up with what he's termed a dodgy disappointment, Nichols set about changing the way he works. Moving offices, experimenting with different pens and notebooks and removing all copies of One Day from view. Now, five years on, the result... Is Us, the story of middle-aged biochemist Douglas Peterson, whose uptight but safe life is thrown into crisis when his free-spirited, arty wife Connie makes a shock announcement?
2: My wife woke me in the middle of the night. At first I thought she was shaking me because of burglars. Everything's fine, I said, probably just air in the water pipes. What are you talking about? said Connie, sitting up now. It's fine, no sign of burglars. I didn't say anything about burglars. I said I think our marriage has run its course. Douglas, I think I want to leave you.
0: Douglas resolves to take Connie and bolshie teenage son Albie on one final holiday, a grand tour of Europe, in a last-ditch attempt to win back his family.
2: To contemplate a life without her, I found it inconceivable. Literally so. I was not able to conceive of it. And so I decided that it could not be allowed to happen. Longlisted for the Man Booker Prize... Us was described by The Telegraph
0: as a quiet joy, and The Independent called it a perfect book. But can it emerge from the colossal shadow of one day's success?
2: There's a saying cited in popular song that if you love someone, you must set them free. Well, that's just nonsense. If you love someone, you bind them to you with heavy metal chains. Later in the show, we'll be taking a closer look at the
0: pressures of following up a hit book. But first, here to discuss us, is the rest of the spoiler team. Over to my left is poet and part-time genius Andy Goulding. And on my right is full-time polymath Rachel Burnett. Hello all. Hello. Hi. Hi. Okay, so um, we'll get to one day later, following up a hit book one day. We'll get to it later and uh, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about why on earth one of this team would not have read that book so far. Uh, <laughs> but let's not play the blame game, Andy. Andy. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll get that for later. But a book about middle-aged, middle-class people going on holiday with their miserable teenage son and visiting art galleries. It's rubbish, right?
3: <laughs> it's not a great sell, is it, really? But it's got that name attached to it, David Nichols, hasn't it? Yes. That's the sign. Okay.
0: Self. So, what does that mean to you when you when we when we say that? And we we don't, we we're going to talk about one day later on.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I, I, I did think about you know sort of trying to avoid talking about one day, but well, that's ludicrous, isn't it? <laughs> complete, can't be done. <laughs> no, 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 no. Complete waste. Well, I'm going to find it quite easy. <laughs> well, okay. Well done. So, um, so David Nichols, it's assert, isn't it?
3: Absolutely, absolutely assert. Every time he has never failed to deliver for me, anyway, with his screenwriting and his and his novel writing. He's just a fantastically good writer. He understands people and he can communicate that better than most.
0: Okay, so we'll get into more of the plots and the characters and uh, and the development and everything that happens uh, in this book, which uh, in my mind, just under 400 pages, that's okay. Anything more than 400 pages, I'm going to struggle. I'm going to struggle to carry the thing. But um, let's talk about the aesthetics first. And I don't like the cover. What's wrong ah. with the cover? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like One Day's cover either. It's just a kind of... I like the color, and that's it. Okay. I don't know how it could be better, but for me, it it doesn't. I don't know it, if I it didn't have what, if it didn't have that name along the bottom, David Nichols. Maybe I wouldn't have grabbed it off the shelf, Andy.
1: What puts me off the cover is it's a, a rule I have with films is that when you see film posters, if there's ever people sitting on the writing, it's going to be a terrible film. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I think I don't know if it applies with books as well. I haven't seen many books that have people sitting on the. They're writing on the front, but lo and behold,
3: <laughs> having worked in book signing for quite a long time, I don't, I can't recall any people sitting on writing. <laughs> um, but that's not writing; it's a root. That, that is a root. I mean, it does spell out the word us, but the idea is that they're on the route ah. of their
0: journey. Oh, well, now I pick up on that. I've completely changed my mind. I? <laughs> I think it's genius.
3: But the fact it wasn't obvious to you is kind of not good. So yeah. maybe the graphic's not so great.
0: Okay, right. Okay, well, I'm going to spend my time this week redesigning <laughs> it uh, for, uh, for the, the, the next time they publish it. You never know. We could make a couple of quid out of this. Couldn't do. Okay, so um, the format of the book as well. We Again, before we get too much into the detail, the format, and, and this is something I really, really like, is the short chapters. Yes. With a small attention span like mine, it's the short chapters that flip between mostly the future and the past. They flip, sometimes they continue, um, but the subheadings as well. How do we feel about that, Andy?
1: Yeah, I, I really like that. I think it it drove me to get through the 400 pages a lot quicker because I tend to do a lot of, of reading at night when I go to bed and my wife usually wants to go to sleep earlier than I do and I often say oh I just need to get to the end of this chapter and sometimes that's about 10 pages <laughs> off whereas this time I could say oh I need to get to the end of the chapter There, I'm done And then be, <laughs> but I mean I mean it's not necessarily always a good thing to have those those short bursts of chapters but I think it's a really kind of integral part of of us it's it's made up of these sort of pieced together memories and and little moments and and I think that's accurately reflected in in the chapter length I mean there's one or two that that are a bit longer but they tend to be when we get to some of the weightier memories or the moments in the life that need a bit more discussion Uh, so I think it it was both it made it an easy enjoyable read but also it it was it was true to what was required from the, the narrative.
0: Okay now I know I feel I feel a bit like a toddler dipping his toe in the water of a swimming pool, not wanting to get in. I'll get, we'll get there, I promise you. But I just want to get these things out of the way because um, I think it opens us all up and, uh, and and tells us something about ourselves. Quotes. There are, you know, At the beginning of each part of the book, there are four parts of the book. There's a quote. I couldn't tell you who they are or why they are. I never, ever read a quote if someone's put it in a book. I don't see that. I don't think everyone's wasting their time completely. Rachel, tell me I'm a lunatic.
3: No, you're not a lunatic. I must admit, I got annoyed with it, actually the the quotes i thought no just crack on just call it chapter one two three four five six seven unless you're saying something really profound and that you need to know to get to move the story on i looked up about three of them just to make sure that i wasn't missing out on like half a story but they weren't particularly relevant i didn't think they were maybe somebody out there is going to go they're so relevant but um (laughs) i didn't think they were i think it just made it seem a little bit pretentious Mm -hmm. exactly
0: um i i wouldn't have done that either but i it, but only because I never, ever read them. I, just, I don't see the point. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a distraction. It takes you away from it. Right. Okay. So let's, let's talk characters now. And Douglas. Um, now I picked out a, a quote here uh, of, of Douglas. It happens, I think, probably about halfway through the book where he says, I could walk into a room and spot a load bearing wall. <laughs> and now there, if you want a, a, char- a character summary in, in a sentence, there, there you go. There, there it is. Um, did, did you like Douglas?
3: I did actually. I was uh, well. I I did mostly. I felt for him because I'm actually a very creative person. I should have related a lot more to Connie, but I actually felt for Douglas because he's desperately seeking the cool. He wants to be the cool guy. He really does, and he doesn't understand why him liking. A certain musician is not cool, Mm -hmm. but then Connie liking Brian Manlow is. And he just doesn't quite get life and he doesn't get why things are cool and why he isn't. And And he's so desperate to sort of be that person. He he never will be And it's really quite sad I always felt for him
0: That was perfectly selected as well When Billy Joel was the Yes uh, that's right uh, Was the person And he's he's right He's kind of never really been cool Has he? No He's there (laughs) But he's never been Never (laughs) He didn't start the fire No he really didn't (laughs) He really didn't And the
3: fact that When he first invites Connie round He has to redesign His entire flat and artfully leave things about as if he's cool. Like, oh, she might see this picture and that picture. And I thought, wow, that I've been that person. I've, I've sort of seen, I've had cool friends and thought, oh. it's effortless, how do they do that? If I try and do that, I just come across as a bit sad. And I, I think I really sort of related to, to Douglas in that respect. So
0: uh, the, the, the flip side of that, the yin to the yang, I suppose, in this uh, relationship is Connie, the artistic wife. Andy, what did you think to Connie?
1: I mean, it's, it's difficult to say because we very much see her through Douglas's eyes and it sort of flits between just absolute worship of her and sort of a failure to fully understand her I think but I prefer Douglas too Uh, we are tipped obviously as a bias because we're hearing it from his point of view
0: yeah he's the narrator sure
1: but there there was a very sort of specific moment with Connie that sort of got on my nerves a little bit I'm not sure what David Nichols was trying to do with it, but there's a, there's a scene where Douglas talks about love and talks about how it could be just a sort of chemical reaction, and how it can be seen seen as as not necessarily this, this mystical thing that's beyond the contemplation. And she gets angry with him. Connie attacks him and says, "Don't say that in front of Albie." And don't why do you have to take the fun out of everything? And to me, that kind of encapsulated what I liked and didn't like about Connie because I mean I'm I'm very much a sort of romantic as well, but she seemed to be quite closed off to Douglas's point of view if it didn't fit in with her exact view of things. So demystifying something that she holds really strong opinions on. She she wasn't having any of it. And I don't know if David Nichols was was showing Connie in a bad light, there on purpose, or if that was just from my point of view, sympathising with Douglas.
0: I think, yeah, I think I understand what you're saying. I think, in perhaps more real, less sort of one-dimensional. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I was about to say one-dimensional characters. They're not, but they they, they, they do have like you know, one is very much a, a creative, and another is very much a, an academic. Um, I, I think if those two people were married, they might mingle together a bit more and and, and sort of come together and, and you know. Just yeah. w- I don't know just grow together but maybe that's that's what didn't happen in this relationship which is why you know they they, they sort of stuck to their guns although Douglas did try but just couldn't couldn't achieve uh, I I suppose what what he desired to achieve but there's there's a question to say why should he why should he change so much you know uh, let's go um so let's move on I, what I quite liked about the um, about this was the the locations um it's not it's not set in one place so he's he's constantly moving although the description sometimes I found of art galleries and and things like that i found a little tiresome
3: yeah it's a bit like um in harry potter and deathly Hallows where tents keep getting put up and put down again you just you only need to go through that once to know what that feels like and what that reads like and um as somebody who loves going around art galleries and and i am a connie i'll stand there for hours looking at the same painting i thought okay we've been in an art gallery now we know how doug feels about it we know how connie feels about it let's move on so yeah, there was a bit of bagginess in those sections. I felt
0: there was there was a, there was a section where he's talking about uh, the painting, the Night Watch. Now, is, um, am I alone here in thinking that I've never heard of that before? You no, might you be alone. Might. <laughs> okay, right, right. Okay, now we're we're understanding the different levels of uh, of, of intelligence. <laughs> I've never read it. You've never of it. Okay, but okay, right. In which case, Rachel, we're going to aim this at you. <laughs> okay, So, they're, so they're saying that, and, and he's reading out of his guidebook, and he's saying, uh, okay, there are there are. Uh, it's pro- probably the fourth most famous painting can you name the first three so come on give us give us, give us us what the top three would be because Mona... Albie and Connie weren't playing along with this no they,
3: they weren't probably Mona Lisa Sunflowers um, I'm not sure what the third one would be I'm really not sure but this is what I really felt for Douglas was that his, his going into art galleries really typified his desperation to be cool and to be interesting and to be arty and creative he read through his guidebook instead of just putting that aside and just looking and just experiencing it and um, I thought that he was intellectualizing everything and like, mm. giving the chart of the top four. So that's not really what it's about. What do you think? You know. Mm. So I can understand Connie's frustration, but then she knew what she was getting into. But that's a whole different thing. But I was always stop trying to change him. It's like you knew what he was when you started going out with him. So
0: yeah, yeah, It exactly. did.
3: frustrate me. It's like you, know, you knew he wasn't an artist, so. Either accept it, or maybe you shouldn't have married
0: him. Okay, so, so I'm going to tell you number three now that you missed out on that list. <laughs> uh, it was dogs playing poker. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Classic, absolutely. Okay, yeah. okay so um,
0: now y- you mentioned there the frustration. Now I think it's I think it's a good thing sometimes. Not too much. You don't want too much frustration, but if any well, any any kind of art brings brings emotion to you, but especially particularly, I think uh, with the written word, if it makes you. If it gives you emotion, makes you feel frustrated, uh, or can even at some points, you know, upset you and make you feel emotional that way, that's a good thing. It's getting a reaction it's, it's causing, which I think is quite difficult to do on, 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 the, on the page, I suppose. But, um, you know, this is a, it's not a completely blubby book, is it? Okay. But there are moments, I think, of sad points in us, uh, like this clip uh, of when uh, we hear about what happened to baby Jane.
2: And was woken by a call a little after 4am. That awful hour no need to panic. Terrible words, but baby Jane was a little listless. She was having some difficulty breathing and had been moved to a different ward. They had administered antibiotics and were confident this would help, but would I come to the hospital straight away? Best not to drive. I ran down to Kilburn High Road, found a cab Hurled myself into it and out again, into the hospital, feet slapping on the floor as I ran to Connie's ward, saw the curtains drawn around her bed, heard her cries and I knew. I pulled the curtain to one side, saw her curled in a ball, her back to me. Oh, Connie. And I knew.
0: Yeah, so they they, they lost their first baby, a little a little daughter uh, and that's that's one of the I think one of the skills definitely of David Nichols is uh, is, is introducing very subtly, very well um, drops like that and using those, those those chapters we talked about earlier on um, you know the sort of the brief chapters you can do something quite mundane before that and then drop it like a bombshell and all of a sudden you feel you feel hit. Uh, with that emotion. So uh, uh, it's too obvious to say, how did that make you feel? But, you know, I mean, certainly did it, did it, did it make you react emotionally?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It took me by surprise actually, because I've never cried reading a book before. I've cried watching all sorts of films, you know, TV programs, adverts, even, but reading a book, it's just, it's just something. uh, I mean, I've always had a sort of emotional disconnect really. uh, I enjoy a book, but I don't get into it that emotionally usually. But somehow this just, I, I, what it is, I think, is that I think I'm about the right age for this book to have as much emotional impact as it possibly could because I've I've had that kind of, that wild but slightly awkward youth that we talk about in flashback and um, I'm 33, I just got married last year and I'm on the cusp of, of thinking about starting a family and that sort of thing. And so that, sort of hypothetical idea is swimming around in my head when I'm reading this and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm putting myself in Douglas's shoes and thinking how awful it, it would be. But it, it's just the the description is so, there's there's so, such a lack of any kind of manipulation in it. I thought it's really sort of extraordinarily tender in just laying out the details. And uh, there's even a, a, a moment, I think, where he says... I'd rather not dwell on on this for for too long, and it just moves on from. I think it was when they get to spend time with the corpse of the, the baby, and somehow David Nichols has managed to. He's laid it down in a way that's not at all clinical, but it, it's it's not emotionally manipulative either, and I just found it so effective. That I I was just in floods mm. of tears when I was reading that part.
0: Yeah, too right. Me too. I, th- I think uh, we are on the cryometry here, Rachel. I mean,
3: um, I didn't actually cry. <laughs> no way. Heartless, <laughs> obviously. Um, no, you're right. And um, David Nicholls' particular genius is, and he did this in one day, is to write something incredibly tragic and do it in such an amazing way that you feel it you feel it so much but it doesn't feel like somebody's making you feel that way yeah he's very clever at that and he does it in such a way that because he's he's reeled you in with all this mundanity and then he'll go bam and just hit you and I remember that in one day turning the page and just going and just literally gasping um, I didn't get that with this, possibly because I saw it coming. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so I, think, I, I think there were hints to it, it, it before. Oh, there were definitely.
0: Yeah, yeah. But, is, they, but to come to that description at that point, um, yeah. and it was later on in the book where they really did it in in, in detail, and that's when you got to know the characters and yeah. you start to have either either sympathy, empathy, or however you felt about the characters. You'd certainly connected with them by that point, and that's yeah. that's the exactly the right thing to do. It, you know, it might be a bit by numbers, but it's exactly the right oh, thing yeah, to absolutely. do.
3: Absolutely, yeah. I think because he's been a screenwriter as well. I think he paces books a bit filmically and that would be the scene where you'd naturally put something and you've got used characters, the arc's doing this and so you go bang and it definitely worked. I mean, okay, I didn't cry, but that didn't mean I wasn't moved by it because I was. <laughs> um, and I think there is, I was going to talk about this as a possible theme for this show, is that um, when you read books and when you watch films, where you are the stage in your life, how it affects you, I'm a single person, I have no children, no thoughts of having children, Am I reading it differently to the way you're reading it, Andy? Probably yes. Because you are in the Douglas's situation. Whereas I'm not in any of that situation. <laughs> so I've sort of distanced myself from the idea of ever having children or having family. So there's probably an emotional disconnect there anyway for me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I thought, I thought it was quite interesting when you, when you emailed us before this and said, oh, I, I cried and I knew which bit it would be. And I thought, I was questioning myself, why did I not <laughs> cry? <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it is interesting to sort of see whereabouts. I mean, obviously, Paul, you cried. Yes. Um, and you're a father. Yeah, yeah, so- absolutely.
0: Well, you know, I mean, a, a bit of self-disclosion, which I'm not... Well, years ago, I would never have talked about it, but uh, I had a nephew in, 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 a, in, a, in a not exactly similar scenario. But when he writes about spending time with the corpse, and that that's what we mm. did, and just actually saying that, that out loud now seems a bit weird, but it's true and it, it happens and... Something happens in that room, and you're not sure what it was. Sometimes I, I don't even think I was there, and sometimes I remember it clear as day. Uh, and it's so subtly done, so well done that you know if that someone's actually been there. And yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I was in tears of that, but I was also in tears because I was in in with the characters as well. You know, I was I was in the hole digging with them rather than at the top uh, looking down. But uh, but when you talk about about crying there, and Andy, you mentioned TV shows and. And commercials. And yeah, I mean, this is it. I, you know, we, we can open this, the book on this. We're into our second programme now. I'm 39. Uh, a, a, couple, a couple of kids in. And I made a list this week. This, this is very much turning now into the section of the programme where Paul tells us what he did with his week. Um, uh, in, in the last episode, I played on uh, my youngest drum kit. In this one, I made a list on my phone. I've just got my phone out here. I made a list on the notes section of my phone. Um, about, I was, I was going to do a top 10, but I don't think this is in any particular order, of the TV programmes. And I've, I've narrowed it down to TV programmes or, well, adverts, or things that appear on the TV, let's put it that way, uh, of the things that I cry out on a regular basis. These, these are the things that I get sometimes dewy-eyed. Sometimes I have to leave the room uh, for fear of everyone laughing at me. Okay, right. So I'll just read down the list, in no particular order, uh, although I think probably the last one is a given. Um, so number ten, <laughs> that advert where the woman that works at the bank finds that scarf and gives oh, the boy, no. gives it to his dad, <laughs> and then gives it back to him once he's had a baby, and then he goes and loses it.
1: I, I was hoping that wasn't going to be in there. No <laughs> <where>? <laughs> That that is that to me is the uh, the other end of the scale, the extent of the emotional so manipulation.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. But and also,
1: they it's, it's his treasured scarf, and he just leaves it on a bus. I, I don't know. really get how that happens. I know, I know, I know.
0: But something. <laughs> Sorry, I've that... got quite angry about that. <laughs> Calm yourself. Control do you do of you myself. Would you like a drink? Are you okay? <laughs> I'm good. Good. Okay. Next one. You'll like this one. <laughs> Athletics. Whenever I watch athletics, <laughs> whenever I watch athletics on the TV, and you know, it is, it is that thing that someone's worked and worked and tried and tried, and I get it. And because I understand that, I understand what it means to them uh, to get to get gold and you know, and run around with the with, with the flag for some reason. Yeah, I
3: totally get that I one. That. Okay. I cry at Olympics.
0: <laughs> uh, a couple of marriage ones here because I always get dewy eyed at a wedding. Um, CBBC's Marrying Mum and Dad. Uh, now, you're, you know, neither of yeah, neither you two will have seen this. It's basically right. when children uh, children plan their own mum and dad's wedding. And it's just fantastic. It's always awesome. Um, Don't Tell the Bride, uh, again, which is just transferred from BBC3 to BBC1. Um, my eldest has a penchant for um, rubbish TV, um, and I like to watch it with it, um, uh, because I can just use the excuse. And at the end, it's a wedding. and Chewy-eyed. Uh, oh, um, okay, uh, Bake Off, obviously. Um. What?
3: Obviously. <laughs>
0: when, they, when they're going for the hug. The, right, okay. <laughs> moving on. Uh, moving on. Uh, the John Lewis Christmas TV ad. Mm. Oh. Right, okay. Depends. Okay, well, I, I realise this is, this again, it's just me. Um, Strictly Come Dancing, again, the end, when they...
3: When no, I can um, do that one. I can cry on that one. Okay, okay but...
1: No, no, not <laughs> on that
3: one.
0: Curiously enough, not, not the X Factor. Um, Love Your Garden with Alan Titchmarsh. Uh, this is where we're generally they're helping people out who, who are in a bit of a misfortunate yeah, position no, I get that one again yeah. gone um, <laughs> the story of Tracy Beaker which is on CBBC <laughs> now, now come on I'm pouring my heart out feeling unfeeling people okay uh, and the last one is a given what do you think I'm going to say
3: <laughs> judging by the rest I've no yeah, idea yeah who knows the, the, <laughs> the
0: producer Prime. the producer hang on, hang on can Johnny can you talk into this go go for it DIY
3: SOS <laughs> yes oh, yes. oh my clause. goodness <laughs> DIY SOS can kill me in
0: the first <laughs> oh. in the opening minute in the opening minute of DIY SOS I'm gone and I, 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 I do generally think it's a wonderful program oh, Um okay right so that's enough self-disclosure. I think I've given away just a little bit too much to my, uh, my new colleagues here. OK, uh, so it's time to go for a break. Later we're going to be talking more about Us and taking a close look at the pressures on authors to follow up a hit novel. That's after this short break. hope you're enjoying the show so far. If you are and you fancy helping us produce more by contributing to our coffee and cake fund, there are lots of ways you can do that. You can help the show by visiting our webpage, spoilerpodcast.co.uk, clicking on the donate button and giving whatever you think we're worth. Alternatively, if you're planning on buying anything from Amazon, you can do that via the links on our website and we'll get a few pennies each time. That's spoilerpodcast.co.uk. Or you can help us out for free and get yourself an audiobook of your choice into the bargain by signing up for a free 30-day trial with Audible via the link on our website. Audible have the world's largest selection of audiobooks, including Us by David Nichols from Whole Story Audiobooks, which you've heard clips from in this very show. Although, of course, you'll already have read Us. Otherwise, why on earth would you be listening to this podcast? Unless, of course, you're using this programme to pretend you've read something. It's perhaps easier to listen to a half-hour podcast so you can talk about the ending and look clever at work. But all of David Nicholl's previous books are there too, including Starter for Ten, The Understudy, and of course, One Day. You can cancel your membership at any time within 30 days and you won't pay a penny, but you still get to keep your free audiobook. Just go to spoilerpodcast.co.uk and click on the Audible trial ad on the left-hand side. We get a few quid each time someone signs up via our link, which will help keep our producer Johnny supplied with C90 cassettes for his Ghetto Blaster.
2: Now, back to the show. While there was breath in my body, she would never lack sufficient double A batteries.
0: Okay, so welcome back. You're listening to Spoiler, uh, where we discuss the whole of a subject, and this time we're discussing the novel Us by David Nichols. Uh, so very much, even at this point now, we are going to be talking about the ending of the book. So if you've not read it, uh, go away and come back when you have. Okay, so let's. let's we talked about the two. I, I think the main characters, uh, Douglas and Connie. Uh, let's talk about. Uh, a couple more of the uh, well. Let's talk about Albie. Uh, certainly, the Douglas and Connie's son. When I found out this was going to be the loose description is that you know he's a bit of a miserable teenage boy. I thought oh, this isn't going to be this is going to be no fun. But actually, the development and, and, and sort of the slow information that that, that that you get along with Albie, I think it, it, it does turn into a credible, uh, and enjoyable character.
3: No, I really liked Albie. I didn't at the start, and I don't think you're supposed to at the start. Yeah. Um, I find him so irritating and oh god him and Connie and their relationship just seems to exclude Doug so completely but by the end of it I totally related to him my parents split up around the same age and similar dynamic a mother that was a bit more kind of open-hearted and a dad that was a little less and I think even my own dad would agree with that um, and so yeah I thought it was very well written this character that just kind of blossomed in front of you and how he sort of near the end really shows his mettle He's actually an incredibly strong character, probably stronger than the other two put together, I think. And he's grown up in a house with two very, very different parents. And his dad, especially in their relationship, I really related to it and I thought it was incredibly well-drawn. So, no, I, I'm I'm a big fan of Albie. I thought he was a great character.
0: OK, what do you think, Andy? I,
1: I was kind of the opposite with Albie. I didn't really make any connection with him Uh to begin with, again, it was it was through Douglas's eyes, so I could see why this was. But to begin with, I thought every description of him was just like bad stand-up comedy of "oh, this is what teenagers are like" kind of thing, and I felt I couldn't get any kind of emotional connection to him. But then I started to think, well, that's good because I'm in Douglas's shoes, so. He doesn't have that emotional connection that he's striving for. And then when, sort of towards the middle of the book, Albie disappears, he rushes off on his own, doesn't he? And Douglas ha- decides he's going to go in pursuit of him. And that was when I thought, right, now I know what Albie is. Albie is the MacGuffin.
0: <laughs> okay, so you've got to explain the gormless <laughs> look on my face. So what, well, what's a MacGuffin?
1: Alfred Hitchcock said so mm-hmm. the, the the MacGuffin is was the name he gave to the thing that, that the hero is after. So it's usually, uh, say it was in an espionage thriller by Hitchcock, it would be the papers, but what's in the papers doesn't matter to the plot at all. It's It just drives it on. So it's it's the, the hero's self-exploration comes through his pursuit of the MacGuffin. And to me, that's, that's the role Albie played, the most important role, was in making Douglas pursue him, he started to reassess his relationship with him. And still, I didn't I didn't feel that we got a lot about Albie out of it, but we got a lot about Douglas's failure to connect with him, I think. And I just wanted a little bit more. There was a moment where he talked about the one thing that he and Albie shared was that they both liked Simon and Garfunkel and they would sing along to the greatest hits in the car and that was something that Connie wasn't a part of. And I just thought there were surely a few more sort of moments. I mean... There can't be too many, obviously, because they would build up into into something greater. And they just the fact that they don't have that relationship is very important. But uh I just wanted to, a little bit more, other than just clashes all the time with Douglas and just the little sort of clique with Connie.
0: Mm. Well, the, do you know what? Perhaps they were there. It's just that, he, that I think he'd sort of developed. Douglas himself had developed this you know did this idea about what his son meant to him and what he meant to his son which i i think in the certainly in the latter half of the book i um it i think it that that really did develop when he showed his own failings as a, as a, as a parent or 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 what his his own perceived failings as a parent yeah. Another character, that well, I've got a couple of other female characters that crop up. Uh, and we'll bring this one in next. I know we've got a, a brilliant musical excer- excerpt is um, is Cat, the uh, the, <laughs> the Kiwi, um, that, that sort of hooks up with Albie. And um, there's a brilliant description there of them trying to get to sleep. They've got adjoining rooms, uh, Connie and Douglas in one, obviously, and then um, Albie had lured Cat back or, or, or maybe the other way around, I don't know, to the adjoining room. Cat is a, an accordion player. It's a it can be a funny instrument can't it the accordion uh, there's usually only one person that's happy when there's an accordion playing and that is the accordionist and uh, but uh, some of the descriptions of the songs that were keeping them awake were, were just hilarious like psycho killer purple rain losing my religion and smells like teen spirit So um I know I'm getting the uh the spoiler team for Christmas and that's uh the accordion's greatest <laughs> <laughs> greatest hits. Um <laughs> uh, I mean later on as well there there are the, you know uh versions of Riders on the storm, on the Storm dis- uh described and Sweet Child of Mine and beat it. Um <laughs> now I I I have spent a little bit of time on YouTube and uh beat it on the accordion is really something. <laughs> okay, so uh so that aside, there was another character as well. Um Uh, significant character I think as in Freya uh, the dentist the Danish dentist as well Uh, so uh, what did you think to her?
3: I really liked her as a character and as soon as she came in I thought oh Douglas this is somebody that actually might get you but obviously at that point we're still half rooting for him and Connie to maybe work it out so I felt a bit I was torn I was like "Mm, there's a bit of light here for you Douglas and somebody that might get you but how much do you really love Connie and how much of this is really just you being tenacious and hanging on to something because you've been hanging on to it for so long you don't know anything else. So she, she was a strange, conflicting character for me, but I did really like her as a character and I thought she would be good for him.
0: Yeah, I thought so. I, I never knew where it was going to go, what, mm. was, going, what was going to happen. I liked that and that, that really kept me turning the pages, I think. So let, let's get towards the ending now and uh, Douglas has a heart attack, doesn't he? Um, how did you feel at, the, at that point, Andy, when Douglas has a heart attack and Albie comes to the rescue?
1: Um, I mean that it got a bit surreal for me at that part because I mean the heart attack is brought about by multiple jellyfish things, isn't it? And, uh, <laughs> I really thought where is this, where is it going at this point? I was, uh, I think it's in retrospect, I think it's an interesting way to go, but it felt a little bit like it. It was a crescendo that was just sort of crowbarred in there uh, to get this this moment between him and Elby. I would have preferred it if. I mean, you couldn't have really just given him a natural causes heart attack, but a slightly, just a slightly less flamboyant cause of of a serious medical emergency for Douglas, where Albie could step in. I mean, there's so many big events throughout the book. This was one of the things that I didn't like about it initially was that they were traveling around. There was all these these big sort of comedic things happening. And it started to feel a little bit like National Lampoon's Vacation, to me. Which you know, so every
0: every city you go to, something, something happens where you have to run away. Yeah,
1: from yeah. And uh, that that kind of went away. But I just I just think I would have I would have liked it be a bit a bit of a smaller incident that brought about this emotional climax between Douglas and Elby.
0: Okay. Well, I, I, it was it was kind of I suppose in a way falsely set up. Uh, to bring uh, then a reunion between uh, Douglas and Connie, and them to spend some time because he couldn't go anywhere. He'd had a heart attack, so he's kind of stranded in Barcelona. And if you're going to be stranded anyway, you might as well be stranded in <laughs> Barcelona. And at that point, how were you? How were you feeling? Were you thinking, "Oh, don't chicken out, don't chicken out on this ending"? Or I mean, th- th- were you thinking, "Oh, I'd really like them to be together"?
3: By that point, I didn't want them to be together. I didn't think they were well suited. I thought. Connie was not really able to accept Douglas for who he was. Douglas was going to be striving for the rest of his life to feel like he deserved her. And I didn't want him to feel like that for the rest of his life. Um, I thought actually what came through for me by the end of it was the important thing for Doug was that he got his relationship with his son back and that he made some sort of connection with him. I thought that was the important relationship in the end. So, yeah, I sort of thought, mm, no, just let it peter out. <laughs> and it yeah. kind of did. So
0: and, and it did, and... Uh, that, that's. I think that's probably the 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 best the best way it could go. Uh, you know, sort of certainly plot wise. Uh, but you, at that point, were you thinking the same as me? Don't chicken out on this. Don't chicken yeah, out. Don't no, have a happy totally.
3: ending. Well, this is the thing. If you if you're a veteran David Nichols fan, which I am, you know he won't do that. Yeah. You know he's brave and he will go for an ending that is possibly not what people expect or want. So I thought, no, you're not going to chicken out on this. You are going to do what I think you're going to do, and he did, which was really good. And and it was exactly what I wanted him to do. Mm-hmm.
0: So Andy, so, describe um, to us, describe that last page to us. Well,
1: the last page is just the name, isn't it, of uh, of Freya? He's, he's typing her name into a, a search engine to uh, to look her up. We we know from earlier in the book that that Douglas is a whiz on <laughs> online search <laughs> engines, and then and so he's typing in, in Freya's name as a, a possible new beginning for him. And the, the last page is just that title and a, a blank page. Underneath, so in a way, saying that he's got this this future is unwritten. But I have to say, I didn't really like it. No, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, it's going to sound a bit bru- brutal, but I wanted to just leave Douglas in the the turmoil of the broken relationship, Aww. and not not because I, I want I'm the poor <laughs> guy to <laughs> <So> suffer. <harsh. laughs> I know. I mean, I don't cry at the lost love <laughs> advert. I don't. But I'd, I felt the same as you, Rachel. The important thing wasn't the marriage. It was the relationship with Albie. And for me, that should have been enough for the ending. So to me, that was a sort of tacked on sort of, you know what, folks, it'll be all right kind mm. of ending. That I I just, it, it felt like too, too neat and sort of patterned an ending to say, it's okay, we've set him up for another relationship now. I mean, it doesn't say it's definitely going to happen, but i could have done without freya in it at all to be honest i think she was a very well written character but i think she was an unnecessary diversion and the whole time he spent with her i was just wanting him to go get away from her and i didn't i didn't feel that their relationship was that well written that he leaves this this note doesn't he when he he leaves for the last time this is when the, the the quest to to go after Alby that he's picking up and i thought that that to me was what should have been and what i would have felt from his character would have been foremost in his in his mind and yet we get this this quite long and sort of eloquent letter that he's, he's written to freya before he leaves and the, that seemed again to me that it didn't really fit so i i would have removed freya entirely and just made it
0: about those three characters not us plus one Okay, well, I, I take your point, but I'm going to discount it. That It <laughs> uh, leaves an open. I mean I, I have read somewhere online that it, he did have a, another chapter written there where actually you know they meet on the steps, always on the steps, isn't it? And he meets on the steps outside an art gallery, obviously, uh, somewhere, and you know he, that, that, then it sort of continues from there. But I, I felt he was exactly right. I'm <laughs> just leaving that blank page, and then uh, in which case, in which case, let's, let's ask this, this, this question to you, Rachel, What happened next?
3: Well, it depends whether you're an optimist or a pessimist, doesn't it? Really, yeah. um, I would like to think that he found her and they they had a nice life together. And um, I think there is more possibility of that than him and Connie being together, because at least she understood him. And I think everyone deserves a second chance. Um, I think I was rooting for him because of the fact that I come. Can- Myself from a broken home, <laughs> and um, oh, and... but laughed at that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> heartless, yeah, yeah. heartless. Friends, um... <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um...
1: we know what makes poor cry now. We know what makes him laugh. Child of a broken <laughs>
3: home. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but no, I thought it was important that um that Douglas had at least a chance at a happy ending or a happy, you know, beginning of something else because he's tried so hard for for so long, and I just wanted him to have a bit of a breather and to not have to strive and strive and strive. And I thought, yeah, just have this. It'd be nice. Don't work too hard at it. Just go for it. And um, no, I, I I liked it. I thought it was nice. And I, I'm glad they left it that way.
0: Mm. OK, so now, as we mentioned at the top of the show, the book we're discussing today, Us by David Nichols, was the much anticipated follow-up to the hugely successful One Day. Uh, so what do you do after you've had a hit novel? How do you follow it up? Do you even have to? Rachel has been taking a closer look.
3: David Nichols was already a successful screenwriter and novelist when One Day was published but such was its success that when interviewed in 2012 Nichols said he was consumed with worry about his next novel and was desperate that it shouldn't disappoint people He said There's an expectation that it might not be so well read that critics might be a little harsher that anything which sells less than One Day might be perceived as disappointing To sit down in the morning and for those to be the first thoughts in your head can make it difficult to write Nathan Filer, who wrote one of my favourite books of last year, The Amazing Shock of the Fall, dismissed such concerns, arguing that while there was a degree of expectation, that really belonged to other people. I don't have to write another novel, he said, and so far, unfortunately for us, he appears to have taken his own advice. In contrast, Marcus Zusak, author of The Book Thief, another one of my all-time favourites, appears to be near crippled by the expectations on him if the length of time he's taken to write a follow-up is anything to go by. We know the new novel is called Bridge of Clay and it's already on Amazon with an ISBN and a long overdue publication date of September 2011. August 2011 was a tough month for me, but ten years on from The Book Thief we're still no nearer to getting our hands on it. So, how do you get away from this weight of expectation? You could do a J.D. Salinger, write an absolute classic, then bugger off, or be like Oscar Wilde, who went back to writing short stories, plays and essays after his one and only novel, The Picture of Dorian Gray. Of course, there are other famous authors in the one-hit novel club, most notably Sylvia Plath with The Bell Jar, Margaret Mitchell's Gone With The Wind and Anna Sewell's Black Beauty. However, the reason for their lack of a follow-up was something far more morbid. Sadly, none of them lived long enough to write a second. Harper Lee was nearly the most famous one-hit wonder author of all until the release this year of *Go Set a Watchman*. But thoughts on that need a podcast all of their own. Another alternative to getting round the follow-up curse would be stretching out one idea over a series of books so you don't have the pressure of coming up with a new idea for years and years. If you're a talented storyteller, you'll be able to lock your readers into caring so much about the characters in the first book that your follow-ups will be successful regardless. J.K. Rowling achieved this perfectly. I don't believe while writing the Harry Potter books that she was ever under the kind of pressure that someone like David Nichols was after one day. The books weren't an instant hit, so there wasn't a widely successful book to follow-up until Prisoner of Azkaban, by which point her readers were so enamoured with Harry et al that they wouldn't have cared if she'd written the next book in her sleep and published it on a postcard. Pressure came to J.K. when Harry Potter finished and her next writing projects began. Harry Potter is dead! To ease that, she chose to write her adult crime novels under the name of Robert Galbraith. J.K. said she did this so she could work without hype or expectation and receive totally unvarnished feedback. In contrast, the expectations on The Casual Vacancy, which was published under her own name, were immense and justified her previous use of a pseudonym. Meanwhile, Jan Martel, author of Life of Pi, embraced the pressure of following up a hugely successful novel by writing about an author trying to write a hugely successful novel. Beatrice and Virgil wasn't as commercially successful as Life of Pi, but it was well-received critically, and in no way a disappointment. So, while the pressure of the follow-up is clearly considerable, I'm hugely relieved that most writers are able to brave it and keep on writing. After all, just imagine if Tolkien had written The Hobbit and declared himself done. Whatever would Peter Jackson have done with his time? I didn't think it would end this way. No, the journey doesn't end here.
0: Okay, so time for some some final thoughts. And uh, before we get to market uh, and wrap up, Hey, come on! We've put it off too long, Rachel. We're going to talk about One Day here. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, well, let, let's, let's break let's, from me. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's throw this over to you, Andy. You've read this, so you, you're going to read One Day now. Yeah. Aren't
1: yeah. You? I, I, I will. Yeah. I promise. Okay. Did you? you did see? Did you see the film? Uh, no. Well, I didn't want to see the film because yeah. I want to read the book. Really? And you know, I, I can't stand spoilers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Very good. He's on message. Okay. So, um, well, they, they, they turned One Day into a in, into a film, didn't they?
3: They did, sadly. <laughs>
0: yeah, you're not a so king.
3: No, even though the lovely David Nichols did write the screenplay, I can't forgive the casting. So that's it for me, really. Okay,
0: well, I, I thought Anne Hathaway did a, a superb job. Um, perhaps against the odds, sometimes that accent flayed, but yeah, you, know, <laughs> you can forgive Anne Hathaway most things. Okay, so is this filmic? Could this be made into a film? Is filmic a word?
3: Filmic is a word. Is w- it? We'll say it's a is word it? from <laughs> now on. <laughs> um, I think it could be made into a film because it feels like one half the time Um, because it's a journey as well. It's a grand tour. So you've got all those beautiful locations and those set pieces that you were mentioning, Andy. You've got the set ridiculous pieces and there's comedy and there's pathos. And yeah, I think you could make it into a film. Whether it should be made into a film is another question, but you could.
0: And which was your favourite city to go to? It's a really obscure, a a pointless question. (laughs) But I really, I really want to know which, which... city did you enjoy most and have you ever been to any of these cities and would you want to go to any of these cities following it i can recommend barcelona
3: well i was going to say barcelona is the only place i've been on the list and actually i and loved I,
1: it i haven't been to any of them. i've oh. barely been out of the country i'm very badly traveled <laughs> don't, don't leave the shire
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, right so marks on this one um i think initially we said we were going to say how long did it take you to read which i think is some kind of measure some kind of mark as to as to how you read it however Uh, I think we're going to introduce a new scale uh, for this one only, uh, and it's called the MacGuffin scale. (laughs) I'm going to mark this uh, seven MacGuffins.
3: (laughs) Out of how many MacGuffins is that? Out of 100 MacGuffins? That's not important. That's That's what a MacGuffin
1: tells you about you. Oh,
3: I'll I'll give it 83 MacGuffins. (laughs) (laughs) Generous. I'm
1: going to say 53.5.
0: Pedantic with
3: that half minus one fifty-four. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this is and very camp, was not it?
0: You've been listening to Spoiler, hosted by me, Paul Tyler, with Andy Goulding and Rachel Burnett. Our theme music is by Aaron Butcher, and excerpts from Us, read by Justin Salinger, came from Whole Story Audiobooks. The brilliant French accordion version of Smells Like Teen Spirit you're currently listening to is by Alexa Sage. Find out more about Alexa at frenchaccordion.co.uk. If you've enjoyed the show and you would like to support us, you can go to our website, spoilerpodcast.co.uk. Click on the donate button and give us whatever you think we're worth. You can also sign up for a free 30-day trial with Audible and get yourself a free audio book by going to spoilerpodcast.co.uk and clicking on the Audible trial banner on the left-hand side. Alternatively, if you're planning on buying anything from Amazon, do it via the links on our website and we'll get a few pennies commission to keep us supplied with the coffee and cake. Or you can help us out simply by telling your friends about us, sharing links to our show, or writing a nice review on iTunes. Next time on Spoiler, we'll be asking why those hoverboards we were promised haven't been invented yet as we binge watch the entire Back to the Future trilogy. Ooh,
3: ooh, ooh, ooh. Suddenly, the future's looking a whole lot better.
0: If you'd like to contact us about anything else, you can email hello at spoilerpodcast.co.uk. Find us on Twitter or Facebook and go to our website, spoilerpodcast.co.uk. Spoiler is produced by Johnny Hoare and is a Joe Schmo production. The show is recorded at the studios of Siren FM in the heart of the beautiful cathedral city of Lincoln. City of Proust, the city of Truffaut and Piaf.